what is this? It's a truck. That's exactly right. Excellent. And I'm, I'm, I'm standing up here because I'm going to play with the truck. And uh, you guys can help me out. So what sound does a truck make? Oh, come on. Do that with me. A little louder. That's pretty good. And do you see up there? Oh, it's bright in the light. Do you see Jesus carrying the cross? Can we say that that's the way to Jesus today? Is right toward Jesus and the cross? So we want our truck, which is our life, to go toward Jesus, right? Make the sound with me. You guys eventually, you're going to have me in catechism eventually, and I'm going to make you make sounds like this in class, okay? So, all right. So here we go. But what happens to people? We start going off in a different direction. We start thinking, oh, hey, there's cool stuff over here, stuff to sin with, and I'm going to, all of a sudden I'm going the wrong direction. What do I want to have happen if I'm not going back to Jesus? What should you do? What should you say to me? What? Turn around. You should say, stop. Turn around and, and don't, don't hint about it. Yell it out, okay? So, everybody say, stop. Oh. Congregation, can you help them? Stop me from sinning. And then say, turn around. Turn around. Right. And I... I, probably your parents have never made your car make that noise. But I know that cars can make that noise. So that's the brakes while you're going too fast. And then you turn around, and now we're going back to Jesus. This is repentance, where God's law, like the Ten Commandments, like you shall not steal and you shall not kill and so forth, that tells us to stop what we're doing, and then Jesus calls us to turn us around, come back to me, and we go back to Jesus again. Let's practice it one more time. So I'm going back, I'm going, and then I start to sin. You can let me go all the way to the narthex? Someone, stop, good. And then what else do you say? Turn around, okay. And now, all right. Back to Jesus. Thank you. Let's. The law of God tells us to stop and makes us afraid of punishment. The gospel of Jesus and forgiveness makes us turn back around again and we go back to our Savior. Let's pray about that. Can you fold your hands? Heavenly Father, as we saw with this truck today, your law stops us and your gospel calls us back. This is repentance. When we repent of our sins, you call us back to you and help us to line up our lives with you and our Savior Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Word of God for Meditation this 14th Sunday after Pentecost is from Exodus chapter 7. It is the first of the ten plagues of Egypt, the plague of blood. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. 
Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the waters of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the waters of the Nile. And all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. This is the word of the Lord. We examine the scriptures carefully and, and understand that there are certain benchmarks, especially uh, in the reign of King Solomon, that, 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 tell, that, that corroborates when things in scripture happened with, with outside things that we can date in the world. We know that uh, as we work back to this date, that we're in about the year 1446 BC. That was the year of the Exodus. This might be the year before, uh, but, but that year of the Exodus, when you line it up with Egyptian chronology, and that's kind of a moving target because every once in a while somebody discovers a new pharaoh, and then the whole Egyptian thing moves a little bit, but that's okay. But we're pretty sure the Exodus happened in 1446 BC, and the, the pharaoh, we're pretty sure, was a guy named Thutmose III. Do you say Thutmose with me? Thutmose III. Um, when I teach my classes, I, I, I try to use a little rhyme based on something that you might already know to help with that date and that guy's name, and it goes like this. In 1492, the pharaoh's name was Thutmose II. In 1446 BC, the pharaoh's name was Thutmose III. Oh, you know it. Excellent. Oh, very good. The Hebrews had been in Egypt at this time for more than 400, 430 years. But they were no longer revered guests. Uh, for the first hundred years or so, Joseph was the number two guy in Egypt. He had a long 
sort of vice presidential reign there that went on for a, a century. And, 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 the, and the, the Israelites had this wonderful place uh, in Goshen, way over on the far right-hand corner of the Nile Delta over here, and they were shepherds over there. But then something happened, and in the intervening 300 years between the death of Joseph and the birth of Moses, something happened. And we're not 100% sure because the Bible doesn't say exactly what happened, but Egyptian sources say that they got invaded by another group called the Hyksos or something like that. And they came in and, and the Egyptians finally expelled them after a while. And it was, and then we pick up with where scripture guides us again because once that invading group or that attacking group was forced out, the Egyptians adopted a new policy and the Pharaoh, Thutmose III, did not remember Joseph. And, and they had this new policy of hating outsiders. That if you weren't one of us, then you were part of them and you should get out. Or, in the case of the Israelites, we got two million people here as a workforce. Let's not let them go, but let's oppress them and enslave them. And normally in the Bible, almost every other time you have slavery mentioned, it's somebody who either uh, lost their land because of a debt of some kind, or somebody who lost a war. And then those soldiers that are not killed become enslaved, at least for a time. Uh, but this was something different. Uh, none of that was anything like what happened in Europe and America 200 years ago. But, but here, you have a whole nation just oppressed and into forced labor from which they could not escape. And so Moses was called by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Now, you, I'm sure you know the story of the burning bush and in which God called to Moses. Maybe you know also that Moses actually resisted that call and actually said the words, Lord, send somebody else. But God gave him signs, miracles that would shore up his own confidence and also to impress the Israelites before he ever even went to Pharaoh. The first of those was throwing down his shepherd's staff and it would become a snake. Uh, and, and, and then he could pick it back up again and it would be a stick once again. The second one was he could take his hand and put it into his cloak and then pull it out and it would be all white and leprous and, and he could put it back in again and it would be clean once again. And the third of these signs then was taking some water from the Nile and, uh, uh, and keep in mind, the Israelites were, were in, uh, enslaved on the Nile. We sang the, the name of the, of the location in the Psalms. Zoan, also called uh, uh, Tanis. It was a treasure city of, of the pharaohs that was right there on, uh, uh, by Goshen on the, one of the Nile Delta tribute, or, uh, uh, branches. And, uh, and there he was to take some of that water of the Nile in front of the, uh, of the Israelites and pour it out into the ground or the sand, and it would become blood. Well, Moses now went to, to Pharaoh because that impressed the Israelites. Pharaoh was going to be a different matter. But Moses went to Pharaoh, not in the court, but, but out on the river where Pharaoh had gone down in the morning. And, and for, the, for the Egyptians, this may have been an act of worship, although you can't read every Egyptian's heart uh, 3,000 400 years later, but, but, uh, but they revered the Nile as a god. The Nile gave them 
almost all of their food, fish, and, and, and things that grew on the, on the banks. And when, when it overflowed, it, it provided nutrients for the soil and allowed all of their growth cycle to happen. They're in what is otherwise just a desert. It gave them all their drinking water, all of their transportation. How do you go north in Egypt? against the, the uh, well, uh, you, you just get into a boat and it will carry you north because that's where the current goes. How do you go south in Egypt? You, ha you have to sail. And then you can sail back downward against the current and, and go south again. It's as simple as that. Uh, and uh, the Nile gave them practically everything. Well, now what does Moses do? He has Aaron strike the Nile with his staff. So if the Nile is a god, what is Aaron striking when he hit? He's striking a god of Egypt, attacking one of Egypt's gods. And what happens? It turns to blood. This was the source of their food, of their water. The papyrus reeds gave them articles for everyday use, paper and pens and, and, and cheap tools. But God had promised that the Nile would turn to blood, and it did. God had promised that the fish would die, and they did. God had promised that it would stink so badly that they couldn't drink it, and that's exactly what happened. It's sometimes proposed that maybe this was some kind of algae that happens, especially in salt water, and I, in, in maybe in fresh water where it's brackish, which means it's mixing fresh and salt, and like in the Nile Delta and places, but but there's a certain kind of sea algae that, that does, it can stain the water red, and it, 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 if it's concentrated enough, it can give an unpleasant odor. But this wasn't unpleasant. This was, so, this, this was stinking, and it, it killed the fish. And it wasn't as red as blood. The text tells us it turned into blood. And the miracle affected everything. The, the Nile, it's not just one little pool, but its branches, its tributaries, all the different parts of the, of the, of the, of the Nile Delta, the ponds, the, and every, on all the Nile water they had stored in containers, in whether they were stone or wood or whatever they were, all of it turned into blood. And, and if that's the case, then where did the Egyptian magicians get the water to, to perform the same uh, a sign by their magical tricks or their science or, 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 or whatever it was. Well, the answer is that either they also dug along the bank to, to get, because God allowed that to happen for the Egyptians to drink. Can you imagine if you're thirsty, you got to go dig in the sand and drink whatever kind of bubbles up there with sand in it. And there. Ugh, I don't, I, that would clog up my Brita filter if, if, if that happened. But, or, or maybe Somebody had collected rainwater, it's a possibility, which wasn't Nile water, so it maybe wasn't. Or they just went up to the Mediterranean and got some salt water, but whatever it was, it was a deception. Whatever a magician does is finally a deception and forbidden by God, but God in this case didn't even care, it doesn't say anything about it, because the magicians, if they're able to imitate him in this plague, what about the next one? And even if they can do that one, there were eight more coming after that. And their ability to imitate the plagues vanished after a couple. And finally, even the magicians had to say, this is the hand of God. But speaking of those magicians, it's really time to get into what sins this text exposes in our lives. Earlier this week, 
I had a couple of sets of x-rays done on my, on my neck and spine and, and, and all of that to, to find out what's going on in my life, uh, you know, under the skin. And, and although, by, by and large, I got a pretty good report, actually. Um, there are some issues of concern, and we're going to take care of those. But as I was looking at these x-rays and having them explained to me, I realized, you know, God's Word is like that. It, it, it gets under the skin, and it, 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 it reveals things that normally we just don't look at and don't notice in our lives, uh, like an x-ray showing us just what's happening with, with the bones and the, and the organs and, 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 and different things like that. And so let's just take a, a look at a couple of the sins that show up here on this x-ray in Exodus chapter 7. Um, and I, I, there are probably quite a few. I'm just going to highlight six. The first one is original sin is augmented in our other sins. Every time we transgress or step over the line, it is multiplied by the guilt of fallen humanity that each and every one of us is guilty of as we cross the line of God's holy law. Second of all, Pharaoh's heart became hard. In the first few plagues of these ten, Pharaoh finds a reason to harden his own heart. But as you read through these plagues in Exodus 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you will find that about halfway through, God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart. It's no longer Pharaoh, but it's now God who's against him. If God were against us, who could possibly be for us? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Thirdly, uh, the, the reason for the plagues in the first place. What was it? It was because they had been in, the Israelites had been enslaved by the Egyptians in, 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 a, in a policy of enslavement and hard treatment uh, that came because of the Egyptians' paranoia of people who weren't like them. And this leads into the, the fourth sin, which is this inherent racism against all foreigners. It, here it was, it included, but it wasn't limited to Israel. But whenever a, a, a nation begins to say, I just hate everybody who's not like me, there's a problem there, especially in a nation like, like Egypt that had been settled by many peoples, or in a nation like ours that was a melting pot of, of all kinds of, of different peoples. How, how can we possibly turn away anybody else uh, 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 at the border? We can have policies, but, uh, but to devise a kind of a national Racism and hatred is an abomination in God's sight. Fifthly, we have this issue of witchcraft and magic. Now, God is going to condemn all of that in a couple of chapters in Exodus when in the law he will condemn everything, even down to horoscopes and, and fortune-telling, and, and condemn it with death, stoning to death in the, in the law of Moses, at least. And strictly speaking, those things are rebellions against the first commandment and the second commandment and then maybe individually in all of the other ten in different ways. But finally there is just Pharaoh's unbelief. Don't forget that unbelief is a sin. And Pharaoh was finding any excuse at all for his unbelief. Unbelief finds 
any reason not to listen to God. Pharaoh thought that he should be obeyed above everybody else. He was unwilling to bow the knee to God Almighty. And and unbelief finally just ignores plain facts. It doesn't want to believe God, whether it's God's threats or God's wonderful loving promises. Unbelief just turns a blind eye. Now, somebody might say, well, what about Moses and Aaron? They're not the world's greatest guys either. Moses had been a murderer. He had resisted the call. Aaron is going to show his true colors at the foot of Mount Sinai when the people grumble because Moses has been gone too long. But these are believers who repented. Pharaoh was just finding any reason to turn away from God, period. That's what brought on the plagues. And looks, let's look at what these plagues did. This is only the first of ten. These plagues, they didn't just last a matter of weeks. They went on, this went on for months and maybe a year or more. During that year, the plagues, on the one side, stripped away Egypt's confidence in its own power. Stripped away Egypt's confidence in its false gods. Stripped away e- Egypt's uh, 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 self arrogance, self confidence in every way, and at the same time glorified God again and again and again and again, showing God's almighty power and might. Even the even the the Egyptian magicians had to say, "This is the hand of the divine Almighty God." And the plagues also gave Egypt, gave to Pharaoh the opportunity, the chance to cry out, stop, don't do this anymore. And Pharaoh actually almost did that a couple of times, but he kept changing his mind, started hardening his own heart. But there are examples of this in the Bible, working with somebody, where where a, a, a plague comes and the believer confesses their sin, asks God to forgive, and everything turns around. Think of David at the end of his reign, committed a sin. It was a, it was a census that shouldn't have been taken. And as the plague is striking down, killing people in the country, David cries out, have mercy. Stop, please, Lord. And the Lord did stop. David is an example of what repentance can look like. Or think of, of the city of Nineveh in the days of, of the prophet Jonah. Whole city that repented in sackcloth and ashes from the king to the donkeys. Everybody got in on this and God relented. He did not even bring about the the destruction that had been promised. You and I don't always know if what we're facing in life is, is maybe a chastening from God where he allows some kind of calamity to come to, to, to turn me back and realign me with him, to call me back by the gospel, or if there is a plague on, on the whole nation or, or maybe a whole pandemic. But whatever it is, it's never wrong to repent. But remember that repentance is not brought on by the law alone. Repentance is not our reaction to being condemned for our sins. That's fear or anger, but but it only leads finally to some kind of terror about the punishment. Think about Adam and Eve after the first sin. What did they do? Did they go running back to God? No, they went went away. They, They were cowering under the canopy of the trees in God's own garden, pretending that that uh, 
uh, uh, sewn fig leaves would, 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 would be a pretty good skirt or a pretty decent kilt. How many days would that last? Would, if I made it, about, about 10 minutes. But, but, and, 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 but God lovingly goes and speaks to them because when we hear God calling us back, that's the gospel. The law condemns, but the gospel calls us back to Christ. That's, those are the two parts of repentance. The terror over sin and faith in Jesus. The work of the law. The work of the gospel. Staying away from the word of God means that only the one thing will happen. We'll get to be afraid, we'll get to be scared, we'll get mad, we'll begin to find excuses, we'll begin to be like Pharaoh and turn a blind eye to everything. But coming back to hear the word, here's the medicine that sick souls so desperately need. The, the plagues also remind us that God is finally patient. God is loving. God sent his son to take the punishment, the full, eternal, hideous punishment for my sins and endure it in my place. And that's not symbolism. That ain't Egyptian mythology. That's a fact of history. It was another kind of plague, another kind of a plague of blood. My blood and death and eternal damnation demanded by God. But all of God's rage and wrath and mercilessness got slammed down onto one man, onto Jesus Christ in our place. God's mercilessness to Jesus means God's infinite mercy to us. God's rage on his own son means God's kindness, his gentleness to us, his children. God's wrath has been appeased, turned aside by the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf on the cross. God's wrath is over and done with. Don't invite it back on your head. That's what, that's what unbelief finally does. It says, I don't care about Jesus. I'll take whatever you got. And God says, okay, here it is. Put your faith in Jesus. Because this plague of God's wrath has passed you by. Your sins are forgiven in Jesus. You have peace with God. Now live with that peace in mind. Live under God's eye with the gospel of forgiveness as, as your most used uh, language in your life. Be patient with the people around you, the people that you love, knowing that God has been patient with, with you. Pray for God's help in such a way that, that the certainty of, of, of knowing what God has done for you can only make you smile. Face each new day as a gift from your merciful God who draws us back to him. As we consider our Christian stewardship, we're not just talking about stewardship of our treasures. We're also talking about our time, our, our families, our abilities, and also uh, stewardship of the word of God. Um, we've been talking about uh, this in uh, God Lived Life, which is a 
a, a four-part sermon series that we're kind of just beginning. Uh, 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 we have a couple more coming up. And there are challenge cards right now about this on the information table. The first one is a challenge, not about things we can give, but about ways that we can appreciate the Word of God in our lives. I'm just going to read five of these. One is to challenge myself to attend a Sunday morning Bible study series, two, three, four parts. Um, there, there, there's a listing of the upcoming Bible classes on Sunday mornings in an information booklet on the information desk. Or to begin a, a daily Bible time, uh, there are resources online on our church website. We're just opening my Bible for, say, four minutes a day. Read a section, pray about it or say the Lord's Prayer, and then meditate on, on that as the day goes by. To bring a friend or a spouse to a Bible information class and get a good refresher. Um, or to receive the Lord's Supper just at least twice this month. Or to attend every worship service that, that, that I can this month. Um, not necessarily including the uh, MVL opening series at, service at 1.30 this afternoon, but maybe you could do that as well. But these are different ways uh, to, uh, to, to show my faith in how I appreciate the Word of God and what He has done for us.